0: Book one, chapter five of The Cathedral by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter five. Mrs. Brandon goes out to tea. Mrs. Brandon hated her husband. No one in Polchester had the slightest suspicion of this, certainly her husband least of all she herself had been first aware of it one summer afternoon some five or six years ago when very pleasantly and in the kindest way he had told her that she knew nothing about primroses they had been having tea at the dean's and as was often the case then the conversation had concerned itself with flowers and ferns mrs brandon was quite ready to admit that she knew nothing about primroses there were for her yellow ones and other ones and that was all the archdeacon had often before told her that she was ignorant and she had acquiesced without a murmur upon this afternoon just as mrs sampson was asking her whether she liked sugar revelation came to her that little scene was often afterwards vividly in front of her the archdeacon with his magnificent legs spread apart in front of the fireplace miss doble trying to look with wisdom upon a little bundle of primulas that the dean was showing to her the sunlight upon the lawn beyond the window the rooks in the high elms busy with their nests the may warmth striking through the misty air all was painted for ever afterwards upon her mind my dear you may as well admit at once that you know nothing whatever about primroses no i'm afraid i don't oh thank you mrs simpson one lump please she had been coming to it of course a very long time before this very very far away now an incredible memory seemed the days when she had loved him so passionately that she almost died with anxiety if he left her for a single night almost too passionate it had been perhaps he himself was not capable of passionate love or at any rate had been quite satisfied to be not passionately in love with her he pursued other things his career his religion his simple beneficence his health his vigour his love for his son was the most passionately personal thing in him and over that they might have met had he been able to conceive her as a passionate being her ignorance of life almost complete when he had met her had been but little diminished by her time with him. She knew now, after all these years, little more of the world and its terrors and blessings than she had known then. But she did know that nothing in her had been satisfied. She knew now of what she was capable, and it was perhaps the thought that he had, by taking her, prevented her fulfilment and complete experience, that caused her, more than anything else, to hate him. SHE VERY QUICKLY DISCOVERED THAT HE HAD MARRIED HER FOR CERTAIN THINGS—TO HAVE CHILDREN, TO HAVE A COMPANION. HE HAD SOON FOUND THAT THE LATTER OF THESE HE WAS NOT TO OBTAIN. SHE HAD IN HER NONE OF THE QUALITIES THAT HE NEEDED IN A COMPANION, AND SO HE HAD, WITH COMPLETE GOOD NATURE AND KINDLINESS, CEASED TO CONSIDER HER. HE SHOULD HAVE MARRIED A BOLD, AMBITIOUS WOMAN WHO WOULD HAVE WANTED THE THINGS THAT HE WANTED—A WOMAN SOMETHING LIKE Falk, HIS SON on the rare occasions when he analysed the situation he realised this he did not in any way vent his disappointment upon her he was only slightly disappointed he treated her with real kindness save on the occasions of his violent loss of temper and gave her anything that she wanted he had on the whole a great contempt for women save when as for instance with mrs combermere they were really men it was to her most humiliating of all that nothing in their relations worried him he was perfectly at ease about it all and fancied that she was the same meanwhile her real life was not dead only dormant for some years she tried to change the situation she made little appeals to him endeavoured timidly to force him to need her even on one occasion threatened to sleep in a separate room THE MEMORY OF THAT LITTLE EPISODE STILL TERRIFIED HER. HIS INCREDULITY HAD ONLY BEEN EQUALED BY HIS ANGER. IT WAS JUST AS THOUGH SOMEONE HAD THREATENED TO DEPRIVE HIM OF HIS MORNING TUB. THEN, WHEN SHE SAW THAT THIS WAS OF NO AVAIL, SHE HAD CONCENTRATED HERSELF UPON HER CHILDREN, AND ESPECIALLY UPON Falk. FOR A WHILE SHE HAD FANCIED THAT SHE WAS SATISFIED. SUDDENLY, AND THE DISCOVERY WAS AWFUL, she was aware that falk's affection all turned towards his father rather than towards her her son despised her and disregarded her as his father had done she did not love falk the less but she ceased to expect anything from him and this new loss she put down to her husband's account it was shortly after she made this discovery that the affair of the primroses occurred many a woman now would have shown her hostility but mrs brandon was by nature a woman who showed nothing she did not even show anything to herself but all the deeper because it found no expression did her hatred penetrate she scored now little marks against him for everything that he did she did not say to herself that a day of vengeance was coming she did not think of anything so melodramatic she expected nothing of her future at all but the marks were there the situation was developed by falk's return from oxford when he was away her love for him seemed to her simply all in the world that she possessed he wrote to her very seldom but she made her sunday letters to him the centre of her week and wrote as though they were a passionately devoted mother and son she allowed herself this little gentle deception it was her only one but when he returned and was in the house it was more difficult to cheat herself she saw at once that he had something on his mind that he was engaged in some pursuit that he kept from everyone. she discovered too that she was the one of whom he was afraid and rightly so the archdeacon being incapable of discovering any one's pursuits so long as he was engaged on one of his own falk's fear of her perception brought about a new situation between them he was not now oblivious of her presence as he had been he tried to discover whether she knew anything she found him often watching her half in fear and half in defiance the thought that he might be engaged now upon some plan of his own in which she might share excited her and gave her something new to live for she did not care what his plan might be However dangerous, however wicked, she would assist him. Her moral sense had never been very deeply developed in her. Her whole character was based on her relations with individuals. For any one she loved she would commit murder, theft, or blasphemy. She had never had any one to love, except Falk. She despised the archdeacon the more because he now perceived nothing. Under his very nose the thing was, and he was sublimely contented how she hated that content and how she despised it about a week after the affair of the elephants mrs combermere asked her to tea she disliked mrs combermere but she went to tea there because it was easier than not going she disliked mrs combermere especially because it was in her house that she heard silly feminine praise of her husband it amused her however to think of the amazed sensation there would be did she one day burst out before them all and tell them what she really thought of the archdeacon of course she would never do that but she had often outlined the speech in her mind mrs combermere also lived in the precincts so that mrs brandon had not far to go before she arrived there a little conversation took place between the lady of the house miss stiles miss doble and dr Puddifoot, that her presence would most certainly have hindered Mrs. Cumbermere was once described by someone as constructed in concrete, and that was not a bad description of her, so solid, so square, and so unshakable and unbeatable was she. She wore stiff white collars like a man's, broad thick boots, short skirts, and a belt at her waist. Her black hair was brushed straight back from her forehead. She had rather small brown eyes, a large nose, and a large mouth her voice was a deep bass she had some hair on her upper lip and thick strong very white hands she liked to walk down the high street a silver-topped cane in her hand a company of barking dogs at her heels and a hat with large hatpins set a little on one side of her head she had a hearty laugh rather like the archdeacon's dr puttyfoot was her doctor for many years and brought many of my generation into the world he was a tall, broad, loose-set man who always wore tweeds of a bright colour. Mrs. Cumbermere cared nothing for her surroundings, and her house was never very tidy. She bullied her servants, but they liked her because she gave good wages and fulfilled her promises. She was the first woman in Polchester to smoke cigarettes. It was even said that she smoked cigars, but no one, I think, ever saw her do this. On this afternoon she subjected Miss Stiles to a magisterial inquiry. Miss Stiles had on the preceding evening given a little supper-party, and no one in Polchester did anything of the kind without having to render account to Mrs. Cumbermere afterwards. They all sat round the fire, because it was a cold day. Mrs. Cumbermere sat on a straight-backed chair, tilting it forward, her skirt drawn up to her knees, her thick, stockinged legs and big boots for all the world to see well ellen whom did you have ronder and his aunt the Bentick majors charlotte ryle and major drake sorry i couldn't have been there what did you give them soup fish salad cutlets chocolate souffle sardines on toast what drink sherry claret lemonade for charlotte whiskey any catastrophes no i don't think so bentick major sang afterwards mm, not sorry i missed that when was it over about eleven what did you ask them for for the ronders mrs cumbermere raised one foot kicked a coal into blaze tea will be in in a minute now i'll tell you for your good my dear ellen that i don't like your ronder miss stiles laughed oh you needn't mind me betsy you never have "'Why don't you?' "'In the first place, he's stupid.' "'Miss Stiles laughed again. "'Never wronger in your life. "'I thought you were smarter than that.' "'Mrs. Cumbermere smacked her knee. "'I may be wrong. "'I often am. "'I take prejudices, I know. "'Secondly, he's fat and soft, "'too like the typical parson. "'It's an assumed disguise. "'However, go on. Third, I hear he agrees "'with everything one says. "'You hear?' "'You've not talked to him yourself, then?' Mrs. Cumbermere raised her head as the door opened and the tea came in. "'No, I've only seen him in Cathedral. But I've called, and he's coming to-day.' Miss Stiles smiled in her own dark and mysterious way. "'Well, Betsy, my dear, I leave you to find it all out for yourself. I keep my secrets.' "'If you do,' said Mrs. Cumbermere, getting up and going to the tea-table,' It's the first time you ever have. And Ellen, she went on, I've a bone to pick. I won't have you laughing at my dear Archdeacon. Laughing at your Archdeacon? Miss Stiles' voice was softer and slower than any complaining cow's. Yes, I hear you've all been laughing about the elephant. That was a thing that might have happened to anyone. Puttyfoot laughed. The point is, though, that it happened to Brandon. That's the joke and his new top hat well i won't have it milk doctor miss doble and i agree that it's a shame miss doble who was in appearance like one of those neat silk umbrellas with the head of a parrot for a handle and whose voice was like the running brook both for melody and monotony thus suddenly appealed to blushed stammered and finally admitted that the archdeacon was in her opinion a hero that's not exactly the point dear mary said miss stiles the point is surely that an elephant straight from the desert ate our best archdeacon's best hat in the high street you must admit that that's a laughable circumstance in this the sixtieth year of our good queen's reign i for one intend to laugh no you don't ellen and to everyone's surprise mrs cumbermere's voice was serious i mean what i say i'm not joking at all brandon may have his faults but this town and everything decent in it hangs by him take him away and the place drops to pieces i suppose you think you're going to introduce your ronders as up-to-date rivals we prefer things as they are thank you miss Styles already bright colouring was a little brighter she knew her betsy combermere but she resented rebukes before puttyfoot then she said if he means all that to the place he'd better look after his son more efficiently and exactly what do you mean by that asked mrs combermere oh everybody knows said miss stiles looking round to miss doble and the doctor for support that young brandon is spending the whole of his time down in seatown and that miss annie hogg is not entirely unconnected with his visits really ellen said mrs combermere bringing her fist down upon the table you're a disgusting woman yes you are and i won't take it back however much you ask me to all the worst scandal in this place comes from you if it weren't for you we shouldn't be so exactly like every novelist cathedral town but i warn you i won't have you talking about brandon his son's only a boy and the handsomest male in the place by the way present company of course excepted he's only been home a few months and you're after him already with your stories i won't have it miss stiles rose her fingers trembling as she drew on her gloves well i won't stay here to be insulted anyway you may have known me a number of years betsy but that won't allow you all the privileges the only matter with me is that i say what i think you started the business i believe by insulting my friends sit down ellen said mrs Combermere, laughing don't be a fool who's insulting your friends YOU'D INSULT THEM YOURSELF IF THEY WERE ONLY SUCCESSFUL ENOUGH. YOU CAN HAVE YOUR RONDER.' THE DOOR OPENED, AND THE MAID ANNOUNCED, CANON RONDER. EVERYONE WAS CONSCIOUS OF THE DRAMATIC FITNESS OF THIS, AND NO ONE MORE SO THAN MRS. CUMBERMERE. RONDER ENTERED THE ROOM, HOWEVER, QUITE UNAWARE OF ANYTHING, APPARENTLY, EXCEPT THAT HE WAS FEELING VERY WELL, AND EXPECTED AMUSEMENT FROM HIS COMPANY he presented precisely the picture of a nice contented clergyman who might be baffled by a school treat, but was thoroughly up to afternoon tea. He seemed a little stouter than when he had first come to Polchester, and his large spectacles were as round as two young moons. "'How do you do, Mrs. Cumbermere? I do hope you will forgive my aunt, but she has had a bad headache. She finds Polchester a little relaxing.' mrs combermere did not get up but stared at him from behind her tea-table that was a stare that has frightened many people in its time and to-day it was especially challenging she was annoyed with ellen styles and here in front of her was the cause of her annoyance they faced one another and the room behind them was aware that mrs combermere at any rate had declared battle of what ronder was aware no one knew "'How do you do, Canon Ronder? "'I'm delighted that you've honoured my poor little house. "'I hear that you're a busy man. "'I'm all the more proud that you can spare me half an hour.' She kept him standing there, hoping, perhaps, that he would be consciously awkward and embarrassed. He was completely at his ease. "'Oh, no, I'm not busy. "'I'm a very lazy man.' He looked down at her, smiling, aware, apparently, of no one else in the room, "'I'm always meaning to pull myself up, but I'm too old for improvement. "'We're all busy people here, although you mayn't think it, Canon Ronder, "'but I'm afraid you're giving a false account of yourself. "'I've heard of you.' "'Nothing but good, I hope. "'Well, I don't know. "'That depends. "'I expect you're going to shake us all up and teach us improvement.' "'Dear me, no! "'I come to you for instruction. "'I haven't an idea in the world.' too much modesty is a dangerous thing nobody's modest in polchester uh, then i shall be polchester's first modest man but i'm not modest i simply speak the truth mrs combermere smiled grimly there too you will be the exception we none of us speak the truth here really mrs combermere you're giving polchester a dreadful character he laughed but did not take his eyes away from her "'I hope that you've been here so long that you've forgotten what the place is like. "'I believe in first impressions.' "'So do I,' she said, very grimly indeed. "'Well, in a year's time we shall see which of us is right. "'I'll be quite willing to admit defeat.' "'Oh, a year's time,' she laughed more pleasantly. "'A great deal can happen in a year. "'You may be a bishop by then, Canon Ronder.' ah that would be more than i deserve he answered quite gravely the little duel was over she turned around introduced him to miss doble and Puddifoot, both of whom however he had already met he sat down very happily near the fire and listened to miss doble's shrill proclamation of her adoration of browning conversation became general and was concerned first with the jubilee and the preparations for it afterwards with the state of south africa lord penryn's quarries and bicycling everyone had a good deal to say about this last topic and the strange costumes which ladies so the papers said were wearing in battersea park when out on their morning ride miss dobell said that it was too disgraceful to which mrs combermere replied fudge as though everyone didn't know by this time that women had legs Everything, in fact, went very well, although Ellen Stiles observed to herself, with a certain malicious pleasure, that their hostess was not entirely at her ease, was a little ruffled about something. Soon two more visitors arrived—first Mr. Morris, then Mrs. Brandon. They came close upon one another's heels, and it was at once evident that they would, neither of them, alter very considerably the room's atmosphere no one ever paid any attention to mrs brandon in polchester and although mr morris had been some time now in the town he was so shy and retiring and quiet that no one was as yet very distinctly aware of him mrs combermere was occupied with her own thoughts and the others were talking very happily beside the fire so it soon happened that morris and mrs brandon were sitting by themselves in the window there occurred then a revelation that is perhaps a portentous word, but what else can one call it? It is a platitude, of course, to say that there is probably no one alive who does not remember some occasion of a sudden communion with another human being that was so beautiful, so touching, so transcendentally above human affairs that a revelation was the only definition for it. Afterwards, when analysis plays its part, one may talk about physical attractions about common intellectual interests about spiritual bonds about what you please but one knows that the essence of that meeting is undefined it may be quite enough to say about morris and mrs brandon that they were both very lonely people you may say also that there was in both of them an utterly unsatisfied longing to have some one to protect and care for not her husband nor falk nor joan needed mrs brandon in the least and the archdeacon did not approve of dogs in the house or you may say if you like that these two liked the look of one another and leave it at that still the revelation remains and all the tragedy and unhappiness and bitterness that that revelation involved remains too this was of course not the first time that they had met once before at mrs cumbermere's they had been introduced and talked together for a moment but on that occasion there had been no revelation they did not say very much now mrs brandon asked morris whether he liked polchester and he said yes they talked about the cathedral and the coming jubilee morris said that he had met falk mrs brandon colouring a little asked was he not handsome she said that he was a remarkable boy, very independent. That was why he had not got on very well at Oxford. He was a tremendous comfort to her, she said, when he went away. But she stopped suddenly. Not looking at him, she said that sometimes one felt lonely, even though there was a great deal to do, as there always was in a town like Polchester. Yes, Morris said that he knew that, and that was really all there were long pauses in their conversation, pauses that were like the little wooden hammerings on the stage before the curtain rises. Mrs. Brandon said that she hoped that he would come and see her, and he said that he would. Their hands touched, and they both felt as though the room had suddenly closed in upon them and become very dim, blotting the other people out. Then Mrs. Brandon got up to go. Afterwards, when she looked back to this, she remembered that she had looked for some unknown reason, especially at Canon Ronder, as she stood there saying good-bye. She decided that she did not like him. Then she went away, and Mrs. Cumbermere was glad that she had gone. Of all the dull women! End of Book One Chapter Five